Let's ask God to bless us as we look into Leviticus again. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for this beautiful day, for the rain that we've had, which we need. We just ask your blessing as we look in your word today, that it might uh, touch our hearts and make us uh, more aware of the glories and the beauty and the perfection of Jesus Christ, because all of these things point to him. So uh, with that in mind, just bless your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. We have seen that Leviticus is the book of atonement. We finished up Exodus with the entering in of the tabernacle, the finishing it, and having the cloud cover it, and everything's ready. Uh, that's the way of approach. But then how are they going to approach him? Through sacrifice. And so we need to see that this is a book of sacrifice in Leviticus. And each one, just like everything in the tabernacle, points to the Lord Jesus Christ in type or shadow. And a lot of things have to be just like the gospel in the stars. Uh, before any of this law was given, all of this was known, and these same animals used for sacrifice are in all in the heavenly picture, too. And so I've drawn a picture around um, Taurus the bull because the bullock, the ox, was a, one of the main sacrifices and animals. And then look down here at Aries the ram, Capricornus, the goat. This is the goat of atonement. Then Aries the ram. We need to circle that one. It's a part of Taurus. That's kind of interesting because Taurus is not the whole bull. But then that probably has, in God's mind, the mixture of the two has something to do with the Lord Jesus. He's not only coming to rule the governor, that's what Taurus the bull means, and it really means in Adam, uh, the first Adam, and then the last Adam. He's the last Adam. But uh, in Adam, we're all sinners. But the there's been a sacrifice also by God, and it's with this, the little lamb. So we have the lamb, the bull, the lion of the tribe of Judah here. And you can see that God made the stars on the fourth day so that everybody in the early years of history knew these things and knew the names of them because they all spoke the same language until God changed the language. And so they all knew that someday a savior would come from a virgin, as God said. And here's the victim down here that's probably, they have it a wolf, but it's probably a lamb. And it is God letting God die. I mean, God killing God. And that's what happened at the cross, that God allowed his son Jesus, God, you know, the second person of the Trinity, to die in our place. They knew all of this. Down here is an altar the brass altar, knowing that sin has to be judged, and a two-natured creature that would come. We know that Jesus is God and man in one person, and all of these things. Look at here in the middle is Hercules, which his foot is on the head of Draco the dragon. All of these things, doesn't it just make the whole Bible uh, comes to the fore here? So we see that they knew about these animals, sacrificial animals, as well as all the other star pictures by the names. And they have a sheepfold here. It, it's interesting. The whole thing is fascinating. But how do you know how to read it? Well, I've told you that in the ancient pictographs over in Egypt, between Virgo and Leo is a sphinx, which is the head of a woman, the body of a lion. So they knew where to start, read with a woman, and bring it all the way around. So anyway, I want you to see this. But do you wonder where heathenism, why did the Egyptians worship the bull and other creatures that are in the heavenlies, the scarab and other things that you see here, snake. Uh, they worship everything. They didn't want to miss anything. But they, they knew it from the heavens. All of the ancient people, they knew this and they corrupted it. And Paul says this in Romans 1, when they knew God, because everything was very clear. And Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. The space between the waters above and the waters below, uh, the stars and the moon, they all picture things about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all of this heathen people knew. They corrupted it when they knew God. They took these images and made idols of them began to worship the image. That's where idolatry came from and why the animals 
Why, when you see in Babylon all of the different things and all these other heathen places you see these animal figures in their worship, their idolatry, and they sacrifice their children to these things. It was just terrible. That's how Satan loves to do it. He corrupts the truth. That's what he's trying to do today. He's corrupted this truth in the zodiac, which means the way into uh, what they put in the papers. That you can know your own future by this sort of thing. And some of you have been into this in the past, but that's where it comes from. It's a corruption of ancient truth. So when we see in the tabernacle God planning all of this and the colors and everything, mm -hmm. now we come to Leviticus and we went through the first chapter. We're going through these different offerings. There were five different offerings. That's what I want you to see, Dr. Ryrie's note on the outline of Leviticus. So he says, the language of sacrifice pervades the book with the word sacrifice occurring 42 times. And the, it's about the priest is 189 times. Blood is mentioned 86 times. Holy, 87 times. Atonement, 45 times. So the regulations emphasize holiness of body as well as of spirit. The New Testament refers to Leviticus 90 times. So the book of Exodus concludes with the erection of the tabernacle, which was constructed according to the pattern that God gave to Moses. How was Israel to use the tabernacle? The instructions in Leviticus answer the question, how were they to use the building that they spent a year building? These were given to Moses during the month uh, 20 days between the setting up of the tabernacle and the departure of the people from Sinai in Numbers chapter 10. So the book may be viewed in three complementary ways. It's a book about the holiness of God, his requirements for fellowship. See, the last part is the way to sacrifice, but then the fellowship starts with chapter 11. How do you have fellowship with his mighty God? Well, so the way to God is at first. The way of God is sacrifice from 1 to 10. So the burnt offering, that's the first one, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering. The order of this, I never understood it before until I read just recently, again, these notes from Smackintosh, that right after the burnt offering is a meal offering. It's fine flour, uh, the grain offering. Right after the burnt offering, this burnt offering pictures Jesus, the whole person, being offered to God for your sin and my sin. The whole animal offered to God. And God was satisfied with a perfect animal in the sinner's place. And that's what Jesus is, the perfect substitute in our place, the burnt offering. But right after that is the meal offering, which has to do with Jesus' perfection in his humanity. And I'm going to read you just a little bit of some of this that Macintosh says about it, just to whet your appetite. But then right after it, after the, we see how marvelous Jesus is in his humanity, then how do we have peace with this God-man? Well, it's through the blood. Then there's a sin offering and a trespass offering. What's the difference between the two? Well, we're going to see the sin offering is root sin in Adam. That's what the bull pictures, root sin in Adam. Adam was a the first Adam, and that's pictured by the bull, but the last Adam is the Lord Jesus Christ. So it pictures him, the names in the Taurus, the governor, the one who's coming to rule. See, all of this, see, not only is he the sacrifice and the perfect one from heaven, but he's coming someday to rule the earth and set things right and make peace on earth goodwill toward men. So the last one is a trespass offering, how we have fellowship by confession of our sin. And then added instructions are here on the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering. We're going to read a little bit of it. Then I'm going to go into Macintosh a little bit. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. See, this pictures Jesus, a young male without blemish, no sin in it. Without blemish, he shall offer it of his own free will, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You see, some religions say that man doesn't even have a free will today. 
that he lost that at Adam. He had no choice. Well, the Bible says there's a free will all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, but they want to make God different than the God of the Bible. So anyway, you have a free will. So you offer this of your own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head, the laying on of hands. That's what you wonder where that started from. He put his hand on the head of the burnt offering. And when he did that, he was identifying himself with the animal sacrifice that God was saying, you like Adam or Eve or anybody, you deserve to die for your sin. Or Noah, you deserve to, or Abraham, you deserve to die for your sin, but you're laying your hand on this innocent substitute. You kill this substitute and it will die in your place. And I'll accept you on the substitute's behalf. Only God could have thought such a way to have sin taken care of. And I'm convinced now that that's when Adam and Eve wore the coats of skins that God had a whole burnt sacrifice for them. And probably Adam maybe had to put his hand on the head of the little lamb as God killed it in his place and made him coats of skins from that to cover his nakedness, which is always a picture of the shame of sin. So if the offering is a burnt sacrifice, it has to be a male without blemish, and he offers it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him, or a covering, like Noah made an atonement for the ark. He covered it with pitch, and that atonement. The same word is you. It's a covering over. And so it made the ark of Noah waterproof. But this covers over, doesn't remove it, covers it over for the time being until a proper sacrifice that God would accept his own son came in the likeness of flesh and for sin. He became a sin offering for us, Paul tells us in Philippians. So he put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it's accepted on his behalf to make an atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests... What's their part? Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around the altar that's by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. This wood and the fire, it pictures, you know, in the picture of the stars, the air of the altar of fire down here is pointing toward hell, I think. But God is his holiness, and so sin had to be taken care of. So then the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head, the fat in order on the wood that's on the fire upon the altar, wash its entrails, its legs with water. The priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The sweet aroma is God's satisfaction with the blood of an innocent substitute in the sinner's place. And that's exactly what this means. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord, and the priests Aaron's sons shall sprinkle his blood all around the altar, cut his pieces, and lay them in order on the wood, then wash the entrails. And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is a bird's, if he's very poor like Mary and Joseph were, he made provision that anybody could come. If they didn't have a bull or the proper animal sacrifice, they could have a bird sacrifice. Then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. So he became poor for us, the rich one. That's what Second Corinthians 8 9 says. He who was rich became poor for your sake and my sake. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off his head, burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out at the side of the altar, and he shall remove its crop. All heathen people make blood sausage, drink blood, use blood. God says, no, I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your soul in the 17th chapter. Um, it's, it's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So you're not to ever eat blood. And so that's why they drain the blood from the animal and he shall remove its crop and its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side you see how particular God is on the east side into the place for ashes then he shall split it at his wings but not divide it completely 
And in Genesis 15:10, when Abraham, when God put him to sleep and had an unconditional covenant with him, he split the animals in two and they walked between the pieces, but he didn't split the birds in two. In fact, it might be good to just go back and look at that again. It's Genesis 15. This is long before the law of Moses, but see, God is cutting a covenant. They call it cutting a covenant. So in the 15th chapter, God is saying, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And Abraham said, Lord, what will you give me? Verse 2, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he took him outside and said, Now look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. He said, So shall your descendants be. And Abram believed in the Lord and God accounted his faith for righteousness. And this is quoted many times, Romans 4, 3, Galatians 3. Read again Galatians 3. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So God said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old goat. That would be a sin offering. The first one would be a whole burnt offering. And a three-year-old ram, a substitute. That would be the lamb. A turtle dove for a poor person and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to God, and he cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. See, it's the same thing that the Leviticus said, don't cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, No, certainly, that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. This is prophetic of the Egyptian bondage for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, and that's Exodus, I will judge. When they came out, they took all the wealth of the Egyptians. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Now as for you, Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites. This means all these Canaanitish peoples is not yet complete. See, God knows just when things are complete. He knows just when he's going to send Jesus back to rapture us out of here. We say it can't get much worse. Well, it evidently is going to, because he knows exactly. He said, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down, it was dark, that behold, there was a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants I've given this land, from the river of Egypt, the Nile, to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So all of this land, they've never had it all until when Jesus comes back. So this is a promise of the land. And God, all through the prophets and all, he says, they're dividing up my land, and that's what they're doing today. And it makes God furious. He said, there isn't a day that he takes his eyes off of that land. He never takes his eyes off the land of Israel. It's his land, he said. It's my land. I'm just loaning it to you Jews. It's my land. And he cares a great deal what's happening to it. So back here where he said, don't cut the pigeons in two. And he shall split it at his wings and not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that's on the fire. It's a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So then next is the meal offering or grain offering, which pictures Christ's perfect life. It reveals the humanity in all, all its perfectness of Jesus. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a 
fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it. And all of this has great meaning. And put frankincense on it, which is a sweet-smelling savor, an incense. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take from it his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It's a most holy offering of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. And if you bring an offering of grain offering baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It's a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. You shall bring the grain offering that's made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It's an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. They had to do exactly what God told Moses to tell them. And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It's a most holy offering of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey. It isn't very sweet at all and no sin in it at all. It's a very serious offering. Uh, Ryrie's note here is wrong about honey. Leaven and honey were excluded since they both ferment. Honey does not ferment. You can leave it on your counter and it doesn't ferment. Macintosh is right. It means very, it's, it's sweet, but nothing sweet about this. It is a very serious thing in God's eyes. And so, as for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they, that's 12. They shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. And every offering of your grain offering, you shall season with salt. Does that remind you of something that in the New Testament, our answers are to be wise, seasoned with salt. And he has a lot about that in here, that they love Jesus' gracious manner and his healing of people. But when he brought in the seasoning of salt, and told the truth like it is, they want to throw him over the hill, like in Luke. So we are to be a sweet-smelling savor and a salt. We're to be the salt of the earth. Every offering of your grain you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads. And you shall put oil on it, lay frankincense on it. The oil is always a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and the frankincense is always incense, the sweet smell for God, an incense that goes up before him. It's a grain offering. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of its beaten grain, part of its oil, with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. And then when his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering. So here is the order. First is the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering. I want us to just see what he says here about this. There's so much that I'm not going to read it all. Now the shadow of this perfect man passes before us in the fine flour, which formed the basis of the meal offering. There was not so much as a single coarse grain. There was nothing uneven, nothing unequal, nothing rough to the touch. No matter what pressure came from without, there was always an even surface. He was never ruffled by any circumstance or set of circumstances. He never had to retrace a step or recall a word. Come what might, he always met it in that perfect evenness which so strikingly is typified by the fine flower. Well, then he says, and stands in marked contrast to Moses, who was the meekest man of all earth, and yet he spoke unadvisedly with his lips. He didn't fulfill the type perfectly like Jesus did. So it says here that as to the materials, the fine flour may be regarded as the basis of the offering. And in it we have a type of Christ's humanity wherein every perfection is met. Every virtue was there and ready for effectual action in due season. 
the Holy Spirit delights to unfold the glories of Christ's person, to set forth in all of his peerless excellence, to place him before us in contrast with all beside. He contrasts him with Adam, even in his very best and highest estate. As we read, the first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven, 1 Corinthians 15. The second man is Jesus. The first Adam, even in his unfallen condition, was of the earth. But the second man was the Lord from heaven. The oil in the meal offering is a type of the Holy Spirit. Inasmuch as the oil is applied in a twofold way, so we have the Holy Spirit presented in a double aspect. In connection with the incarnation, mingled with oil and poured upon it, and then it was also in his conception in the womb of Mary. And so he says here, I'm going to skip on I'm missing some of this, it is most fully set forth his humanity in Luke's gospel. And this is entirely characteristic inasmuch as throughout Luke's gospel it would seem to be the special object of the Holy Spirit to unfold in his own divinely touching manner the man, Christ Jesus. In Matthew, we have the son of Abraham, the son of David. In Mark, we have the divine servant, the heavenly, the earthly word, the light, the light by whom all things were made. But the great theme of the Holy Spirit in Luke is the Son of Man. When the angel Gabriel had announced to Mary with the dignity which was about to be conferred on her in connection with the great work of the Incarnation, she, not in the spirit of skepticism, but of honest ignorance, inquired, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? It manifestly seemed to her that the birth of this glorious person who was about to appear should be according to ordinary principles of generation. And this, her thought, is made the occasion in the exceeding goodness of God of developing much valuable light in reference to the cardinal truth of the Incarnation. The angel's reply was interesting. The angel said, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. From this magnificent passage we learn that the human body in which the eternal Son entered, was formed by the power of the highest. A body hast thou prepared me, in Psalm 11 and Hebrews 10. It was a real human body, real flesh and blood. There's no possible foundation here on which Gnosticism or mysticism can base its vapid and worthless theories, no warrant for the cold abstractions of the former or the misty fancies of the latter. All here is deep, solid, and divine reality, the very thing which our hearts needed, the very thing which God has given. The early promise had declared that the seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head, and none of, but a real man could accomplish this prediction, one whose nature was as real as it was pure and incorruptible. Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, said the angelic messenger, and bring forth a son. And then, lest there should be any room for an error in reference to the mode of this conception, he adds such words as prove unanswerably that the flesh and blood of which the eternal Son took part, while absolutely real, was absolutely incapable of receiving or retaining or communicating a single taint. The humanity of the Lord Jesus was emphatically that holy thing, and inasmuch as it was holy without taint, it was holy without a seed of mortality. He wasn't immortal like we are. We cannot think of mortality save in connection with sin. And Christ's humanity had nothing to do with sin, neither personally nor relatively. Sin was imputed to him on the cross where he was made sin for us. But the meal offering is not the type of Christ as a sin bearer. That's these other sacrifices are the sin offering and the burnt offering. This pictures a life perfect life here below. Perfect, it foreshadows Jesus, a life in which he suffered, no doubt, but not a single sin bearer, not as a substitute, not at the hand of God. Let this be distinctly noted, neither in the burnt offering nor in the meal offering have we Christ as a sin bearer. In the latter, we see him living, but in the former, we see him dying. But in neither is there a question of the imputation of sin nor the enduring of wrath of God on account of sin. In short, to present Christ as a sinner's substitute anywhere else save on the cross is to rob his life of all its divine beauty and excellency and to displace the cross altogether. 
Moreover, it would involve the types of Leviticus in hopeless confusion. He said, I want at this point to admonish my reader that he cannot be too jealous in reference to the vital truth of the person and relation of this Lord Jesus Christ. If there be error about the incarnation as to this, there's no security as to anything. God cannot give the sanction of his presence to anything that has not this truth for its foundation. The person of Christ is the living, the divine center around which the Holy Spirit carries on all his operations. Let's slip the truth as to him, and you are like a vessel broken from its moorings and carried about without rudder or compass over the wild watery waste and in imminent danger of being dashed to fragments upon the rocks of Arianism, infidelity, atheism. Question the eternal sonship of Christ, question his deity, question his unspotted humanity, and you have opened a floodgate for a desolating tide of deadly error to rush in. And he mentions theologians that do this. And so he talks about this wonderful, well, I have to read this a little bit. He says here, nothing is of any value save that which is wrought by the power of the Holy Spirit. Speaking of the oil that's poured over. A man may write, but if his pen isn't guided and used by the Holy Ghost, his lines will produce no permanent results. A man may speak, but if his lips be not anointed by the Holy Spirit, his word will not take permanent root. This is a solemn consideration, and if properly weighed, would lead to much watchfulness over ourselves and much earnest dependence upon the Holy Spirit. What we need is thorough self-emptiness so that there may be room left for the Holy Spirit to act by us. It's impossible that a man full of himself can be the vessel of the Holy Spirit. Such a one must first be emptied of himself, then the Spirit can use him. When we contemplate the person and ministry of Jesus, we see how in every scene and circumstance he acted by the direct power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so the next ingredient in the meal offering is incense. It, the fine flour was the basis of the offering. The oil and frankincense were the two leading adjuncts. And truly, the connection between these latter two is most instructive. The oil typifies the power of Christ's ministry. The frankincense typifies the object thereof. The oil teaches us that he did everything by the Spirit of God. The frankincense, that he did everything to the glory of God. This is this so wonderful to mention. Then it mentions the salt that has to be seasoned with salt to be pleasing to God. Well, you can see that I've marked all of this, and I just... But our conversation should always be with grace, seasoned with salt. That's what we need. The whole conversation of the perfect man exhibited the power of this principle. His words were not merely words of grace, but of pungent power, words divinely adapted to preserve from all taint and corrupting influence. He never uttered a word which was not redolent with frankincense and seasoned with salt. The former most acceptable to God, the latter most profitable for man, the seasoning of salt. So it mentions about being cast over the, wanting to throw him over the hill. So having considered the ingredients which compose the meal offering, we'll refer to those which were excluded from him. Leaven was excluded. Then I wanted to read you about, there was nothing sour. That's what leaven, it pictures sin. His word at times cut to the quick, but it was never sour. His style never rose above the occasion. And then, now as leaven is the expression of that which is positively and palpably evil in nature, we may regard honey as the significant symbol of that which is apparently sweet and attractive. Both are disallowed of God. Both were carefully excluded from the meal offering. Both were unfit for the altar. Men may undertake, like Saul, to distinguish between what is vile and refuse and what is not. But the judgment of God ranks the delicate agag with the vilest of the sons of Amalek. No doubt, he knew his Old Testament exactly because Agag went delicately, that was the same word, thinking that Samuel wouldn't hew him in pieces. He thought he'd spare his life. He went delicately, but no, Samuel did hew him in pieces. So he says that the judgment of God ranks the delicate Agag with the vilest of the sons of Amalek, and they were pretty vile. No doubt there are some good moral qualities in man which must be taken for what they are worth. Have you found honey? Eat so much as convenient. 
but be it remembered, it's found no place in the meal offering, nor is it antitype. There was fullness of the Holy Spirit. There was a fragrant odor of, of incense, frankincense. There was a preservative virtue of the salt of the covenant. All these things accompanied the fine flour in the person of the true meal offering, but no honey. Honey was convenient. Well, and he could say to his mother, don't you know that the salt, I must be about my father's business? And then he said, when he was on the cross, behold your mother. That's the honey part. Well, anyway, I want you to just see that there are depths here and that each of these things picture a different aspect of the person and work of Jesus and all he did for us. And it's very important to God because no, he wouldn't be having all these details if it weren't so important. So now, the peace offering. When his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, so now we know how to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a peace offering. If he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the offering, kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that's on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that's on them by the flanks, the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt, uh, on top of the burnt sacrifice, which is on the wood that's on the fire. It's an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. If his offering as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as his offering, he shall offer it before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the offering, kill it before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron's son shall sprinkle his blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's fat, and the whole fat tail, which he will remove close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that's on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that's on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the goat, kill it before the tabernacle of meeting, and the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from it his offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails, all the fat that's on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that's on them by the flanks, the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. In all your dwellings, you shall eat neither fat nor blood. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord, in anything which ought not be done, and does any of them, the anointed priest sins, if the priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. You see in our list here of the outline of the offering, first is the burnt offering, then the grain offering is laid on top of the burnt offering, then the peace offering is offered, and how we have peace with God and fellowship with him, then the sin offering, it's root sin. I always remember it as, as root sin. And he separates the priest has to offer different because he's out in front of the people and he's going to be punished more severely really if he doesn't do what the Lord tells him to do if the anointed priest sins bringing guilt on the people he brings a young bull in Adam without blemish as a sin offering he shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord lay his hand on the bull's head kill the bull before the Lord and I've written on my page down here, Taurus the bull, it's the governor, the main star means the governor who would be slain. The next star is the coming Lord slain as a sacrifice. That's what the star name means. So everybody, Enoch knew this, Adam knew that there was somebody, somebody coming that would be slain as a sacrifice and he's going to be the governor, he's going to rule. The ruler will suffer. 
Well, then when you bring the ram, it's Christ our substitute. In Genesis 22:13, when Abraham was told to offer his son as a sacrifice, and God said, don't do it, and he looked up and he saw a ram caught by his thorns in the thicket, and he offered him as a substitute for Isaac. And so it's our substitute, Genesis 22. Then Capricornus is the goat of atonement, slain for the redeemed. Do you see all of these in the star pictures? The goat of atonement is up there. They knew this. Everybody, all the descendants of Adam knew it. They knew it all the time until it was finally written down on tablets of stone by Moses. But they knew what to bring. They knew clean from unclean. They knew which things God accepted, which he rejected. All of this. And Paul says in the New Testament, whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. And 1 Corinthians 10, now all these things were for our examples. So we are to learn from all of this that Jesus is our sacrifice, and that he is a substitute for us, and that he's slain so that we can be in heaven. He's our sin bearer. Now I've written here, Jesus Christ, the God-man, the last Adam. So this picture's when you see the Torah symbol, man in Adam, he's a sinner. So we have here the sin offering. So the Lord spoke, and I'm writing here in my Bible, root sin in Adam. And 2 Corinthians 5:21 says, God hath made Jesus sin for us who knew no sin, that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, if a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything that ought not to be done and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he sinned, a young bullock without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head, kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood, bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood, sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. He shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. That's the main offering place. He shall take from it all the fat of the bull as a sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails, all the fat that's on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that's on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. As it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering, and the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. But the bull's hide and all his flesh with his head and legs, its entrails and offal, the whole bull, he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out it shall be burned now if the whole congregation of israel sins unintentionally and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly and they have done something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which should not be done and are guilty, when the sin which they sin becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin, offer it before the tabernacle of meeting, and the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, then the bull shall be killed before the Lord. The anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting, and pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take all the fat from it and burn it on the altar. He shall do with the bull as he did with the bull of the sin offering. Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them and it shall be forgiven them. Then he shall carry the bull outside the camp, burn it as he burned the first bull. It's a sin offering for root sin, for the assembly. When the ruler has sinned, now we've got the priest sinning, the assembly, the, all the people sinning. When a ruler has done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord his God or anything which should not be done and is guilty, or if his sin which he has sinned comes to his knowledge, he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a male without blemish, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the goat, kill it at the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It's a sin offering. 
And the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, pour its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering, and it sh- he shall burn all its fat on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice of peace offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven him. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not be done and is guilty, or if his sin which he has sinned comes to his knowledge, then he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a female, without blemish, for his sin which he sinned. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, kill the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, pour its remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all of its fat, as fat is removed from the sacrifice of peace offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. If he brings a lamb as his sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Then he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, slay it as a sin offering at the place where they kill the burnt offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour its remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. Then the priest shall burn it on the altar according to the offering made by fire to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin that he has committed and it shall be forgiven him. So this is for root sin, all the different areas of sin and what they can bring and how it can be covered, atoned for, just covered over by the blood of an innocent substitute. But if a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath, And as a witness, whether he's seen or known of the matter, if he doesn't tell it, he bears guilt. Or if a person touches any unclean thing, whether it's the carcass of an unclean beast or livestock, the carcass of an unclean creeping thing, and it's hidden from him, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches a human uncleanness, whatever sort of uncleanness, in which a man may be defiled, and it's hidden from him, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips, to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, and it's hidden from him, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. So this is sin that we commit daily. If we confess our sins, these are the sins that, uh, not root sin, but sins daily that we need to confess and forsake. And so he said, it shall be when he's guilty of any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin, which he sinned, a female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement, a covering for him concerning his sin. If he's not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord for his trespass, which he has committed two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One is a sin offering, the other is a burnt offering. And he shall bring them to the priest, and who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first, and wring its head from its neck, and shall not divide it completely. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It's a sin offering. And he shall offer the second as a burnt offering, according to the prescribed manner. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin, which he has sinned, and shall be forgiven him. But if he's not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, say that he's so very poor, then he who sinned shall bring for his offering one-tenth a little dab of the fine flour offering of the meal, one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. And he shall put no oil on it, nor shall he put any frankincense on it, for it's a sin offering. Then he shall bring it to the priest. See, most anybody could afford, if he can't afford a bird, he could afford a little handful of the meal offering. We bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take his handful as a memorial portion, burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. It's a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin that he sinned in any of these matters, and it shall be forgiven him. The rest shall be the priest's as a rain offering. So that's the sin offering. Now, sin is an act in the trespass offering. So now we come to the, this last one. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person commits a trespass, the trespass offering, and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flock, with your evaluation of shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, as a trespass offering. These are personal sin. Sin is an act. And he shall make restitution for the harm that he's done in regard to the holy thing. And he shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. If a person sins, commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish of the flock, with your evaluation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred, in which he did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. It's a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. So this last part, the Lord spoke to Moses, if a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he's extorted from his neighbor, or if he's found what was lost and lies concerning it, and swears falsely, if any one of these things that a man may do in which he sinned, then it shall be because he sinned and is guilty that he shall restore what he stolen or the thing which he deceitfully obtained, or what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or the lost which he's found, or all that about which he's sworn falsely. He shall restore its full value, add one-fifth more to it, give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish, from the flock, with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any one of these things that he may have done in which he trespasses. Now then, next week we'll start with these few added instructions. <laughs> Do you think it said it all? But here, added instructions concerning the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the peace offering, and then through the priest. So the priests, they had to be consecrated a special way. So next week we'll probably get into the 11th chapter, but this is where we'll start next week. Lord, we thank you that we can come before you and read these things. And we're thankful we live this side of the cross. And Jesus met all these intricate things that you've given in the Old Testament. Every one of them he fulfilled uh, as a complete and perfect sacrifice for us. We thank you, Lord, that he did it, and we don't have to do anything except trust him and follow him in what he says to do. So, Lord, we ask that you bless these things to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.